So this morning, I'm going to give a short lecture on the significance of chanting Hare Krishna, Mahamantra. And in the course of doing so, we'll discuss the principle of initiation to some extent. And then we're going to give the Harinam initiation to Susan, who's been conscientiously involved in the culture of Harinam and Gaudiya Vaishnavism in connection with our group for about two years, has come to visit us here on this occasion. So we're happy that you've come, and you're fortunate that so many other Vaishnavas have come, some of whom have been involved in this for longer than I have even. So we hope to invoke their kindness and blessings towards you. It's always encouraging to see someone come forward from the quagmire of material existence to find their way out and make a connection with the Sampradaya. So Hare Krishna Mahamantra is a mantra that is found in the revealed literature. Of course, Krishna Nam, the name of Krishna, is found throughout the literature, but the Mahamantra, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Ram, Hare Ram, Ram Ram, Hare Hare, is mentioned in the Agni Purana, Ramanda Purana, and also in the Shruti, in Kalishantarana Upanishad. And there, in that Upanishad, it is mentioned as Taraka Brahma Nam, or a form of the holy name of the Lord, a particular expression of the name of the Lord, that is particularly potent for bringing about one's deliverance in Kali Yuga, the age we are living in. Of course, careful study of the literature and the significance of Krishna Nam and the Mahamantra in particular reveals that it does more than deliver one from material existence. Of course, in the context of Srimad Bhagavatam, that deliverance or mukti is two-sided, delivering us from the negative influence that means karma, whether it be good or bad, and furthermore, primarily we could say, situating us in our normal serving position in relation to the Lord in transcendence. So not merely removal of the negative influence, the karmic debt, which brings us from negative numbers to zero, but to situate us in positive numbers. And there, Kali Upanishad, the context in which the Hare Krishna mantra is mentioned is a conversation between Brahma and Narada. Narada Muni asks Brahma, by what means people will be delivered in Kali Yuga? And Brahma answers by chanting the holy name of God. And then Narada further inquires, in what names? And Brahma says, Iti sodasakam namnam kalikalmashanashanam. Hari Krishna, Hari Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hari Hari, Hari Ram, Hari Ram, Ram Ram, Hari Hari. Sarvavedeshu dushite. All the Vedas declare that these 16 names, it's actually three names, but arranged in format of 16. Hari Krishna, Hari Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hari Hari, Hari Ram, Hari Ram, Ram Ram, Hari Hari. These will destroy all the ill effects of Kali Yuga. And as I mentioned, this is Sarvavedeshu dushite, declared throughout the Veda. So to understand how this is declared throughout the Veda, we can turn to the Gaudiya Sampradaya, which has laid so much stress on the chanting of the holy name of Krishna and the Hare Krishna mantra in particular. Rupa Goswami has given in his Namastakam eight prayers and glorification of the holy name, a nice idea. He's stated there that the Upanishads themselves, the Shruti, from where this statement comes about the 
power of Hare Krishna mantra in general and particularly in Kali Yuga. But the Shruti itself, which speaks about spiritual life often in an abstract way, their statements, the statements of the Shruti like valuable jewels and the light of their effulgence is all pointing in the direction of the holy name of Krishna, as if to turn their light and focus it, go here. Mahaprabhu said, Shrotam Api Upanishadam Nure Harikatamrita. The statements of the Upanishads, like Tattvamasi, Ahambramasmi, Soham, these abstract statements that speak in a very general way about the spiritual reality, are Dure Harikatamrita, very far from Harikata, talk about Krishna or Krishna Nam. In other words, that which can be derived from chanting Krishna Nam, hearing and discussing about Krishna, far exceeds that which can be accomplished by practicing and contemplating the significance of the utterances of the Upanishads. Mahaprabhu says, this Harikata and Harinam has the power to bring about radical change in one, Kampashupulakadaya, all type of transformations of ecstasy that the lila of Radha and Krishna are made up of. But the Upanishadic statements in and of themselves, they don't have that power. Therefore, they're shunning their light. They're pointing in the direction of the glory of Harinam. So by careful study of the Gaudiya Vaishnav literature, we can understand what Brahma meant when he said, this is declared throughout all the Vedas. It may seem like just a one particular sect amongst many that pledge allegiance to the scripture, the Gaudiya Sampradaya, and their chanting of Hare Krishna. But actually, if we look carefully and objectively, we'll find what the Gaudiya Vaishnavas are speaking about, their explanation of scripture that brings such emphasis on Harinam. This is really what all the scriptures are speaking about, either directly or indirectly, this is what they're all pointing to. In a simple sense, at least, it should be clear that all of the scripture emphasizes that in the present age, in Kali Yuga, kirtan is the remedial measure. This is actually common knowledge in India. That means people aren't very versed in the scripture, but it is so pronounced in the scripture that it's come to be common knowledge amongst the people. Yes, in Kali Yuga, Namkirtan. It's a very authorized spiritual practice, this chanting of the holy name. Indeed, as I say, the very essence of the revealed scripture. It's a means and an end in itself. That means that uh, as practitioners, we will chant Hare Krishna, and as perfected devotees, this chanting will go on. Ram, Ram, Mahabharata. Hare Krishna, Ram. We find in Bhagavatam, in so many places, in 10th Canto, the devotees of the Lord, his associates, the cowherds, the gopis, chanting Krishna Nam. So it's both for sadhakas and for siddhas. The name itself is non-different from Krishna. Only one difference. Vinatma Namanamino, they said, the name of Krishna and Krishna non-different, and at the same time there is a difference between the two. What is the difference? The name is more kind, more merciful. Even if we offend the Lord, in the form of his name he comes to us. So, if the name is Krishna himself, and in the most merciful disposition, that he's willing to come to us, even in our offensive condition, we should be careful not to offend him in that form. Therefore, although chanting the holy name, Mahaprabhu has said, carries with it no rules and regulations, he said there are many, many names of the Lord and they're all endowed with the power, shakti of the Lord himself and there are no hard and fast rules for chanting these names of the Lord. Although this is the case, still there are things that if we know about and we apply them, certain things we avoid and certain things we take up in relation to chanting the holy name, then the holy name will be more inclined to reveal himself to us. So it's in our interest to be aware of them. Those things that thinking and doing might offend the holy name, that which might attract him to revealing himself. 
We can't chant in any condition. It means to even offensive persons that uh, are unaware of the proper way to practice and chant and so forth. They can chant. Again, this is the merciful nature of the divine dispensation of the holy name. But if we're serious about chanting, which those who come forward for initiation into chanting the Hare Krishna mantra should be, then we should know about these things that uh, we'll more readily call our progress in the context of chanting the holy name. And serious about chanting that causes one to come forward for initiation means that within one the shraddha in Krishnanam has awakened. Shraddha means faith, but it means the sense that simply by chanting the holy name of Krishna alone, if I don't do anything else, my life will be successful. Of course, we're busy doing many other things, <laughs> trying to make our lives a success. But we have some sense that simply by chanting Hare Krishna, everything will be complete. And so we embark upon trying to realize that, by coming forward for initiation into the Sampradaya. With regard to initiation, sometimes it is said that there is no initiation of the Hare Krishna mantra. We find that Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasati Thakur gave the Harinam initiation and his followers, like my Guru Maharaj, we are doing. But some people object, there's no initiation for the Hare Krishna mantra. But we find in Gaur Lila evidence to the contrary. It is mentioned that at one point, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, as a, just an infant, refused to take milk from his mother's breast. And the reason was, he said, because she's not initiated into the chanting of Hare Krishna. So Advaita Charja came and gave her initiation into the chanting of the Hare Krishna Mahamantra. And then Mahaprabhu continued to take milk from her breast. So there is some precedent for this in Gorlila itself. So there's some formalities to the chanting. The initiation is most beneficial. Chant Krishna Nam, one thing, but this is a particular formula of Krishna Nam we call Mahamantra. We refer to this as Harinam initiation, but it's also initiation into the chanting of this Hare Krishna Mantra. It has particular significance, this particular combination of the holy names of the Lord, Hari, Krishna, and Ram. Hare is the vocative form of Hari, so it is a address, O Hari, O Hari, O Lord, like with some feeling to get his attention. And Krishna and Ram, of course, are other names of the Lord. So it consists of three names of the Lord, Olo Gaudiya Sampradaya, looking at it deeply and with feeling, often brings out the fact that Hara in the vocative is Hare, and thus Hare in Hare Krishna Mantra can also be understood to imply Radha, the Lord, Krishna, Ram, and his primal Shakti energy. So we should try to chant this Hare Krishna mantra first and foremost attentively with regard to avoiding that which will offend the holy name. It is said in scripture to be ten offenses. There is an eleventh, in a sense, that Bhaktivinoda Thakur, I think, brings out, and that is inattentive chanting. In fact, he says chanting inattentively is that which gives rise to all of the other offenses. So if one very much concentrates and practices chanting attentively, then he can rest assured that he'll be cleared of that stage of offensive chanting. If three stages, offensive chanting, then called namaparad, namavas, kind of an intermediate stage, a clearing stage of chanting that's not offensive, but that's not pure, and then shudhanam, pure name. So we want to pass through this offensive stage, and the key to that is chanting attentively. So although we're going to talk about these ten offenses, and we are talking about what it appears to be rules and regulations about the chanting, and we've said, citing Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, that there are no hard and fast rules, the idea here is that, yes, as I mentioned, anyone can chant, but if you know certain things, you get an education about it, and you want to go about it systematically, then by adding and subtracting certain things from your life, you will attract Arinam Prabhu to reveal himself. Now, while we talk about these offenses and other practices that may come up in the course of this discussion, we should understand also that while they may sound burdensome to us, cumbersome, it's possible, 
or in the course of going home and practicing, they may sound all right, but then we find in our everyday life all this difficulty in applying all these rules and regulations. And then we want to reflect back on Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's statement, there are no rules and regulations. And then we wonder, well, why are there so many rules? And Actually, the fact of the matter is that the what has been given by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, this Nam Dharma, in comparison to other paths enjoined in the scripture that lead one to transcendent life. It is very free and very open, very broad, very accommodating, and very rule and regulation-less in comparison. People are not so familiar with the rigors of the other paths of jnana and karma, for example, yoga, all the details of these that have to be in place for them to be effective. So in comparison, the ideas, although if you look closely at it, there are some rules and regulations that will be helpful. These are very minimal. And so this underscores our fallen condition and the need for a process because we think these are very cumbersome. But don't think that you will turn to some other path and find an easier course than that which Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has given through Nam Dharma, the Dharma of chanting the holy name of Krishna. You may find a path that's more simple and demands less of you, but it will not be fruitful in terms of actual transcendental life. There are many things in the spiritual marketplace these days, and most of them are less than spiritual, although they may be full of spiritual trappings. I've several times mentioned how in my own life, many, many years ago, before I joined Prabhupada's mission, I was interested in meditation and I used to ask people, I was living in the Santa Cruz Mountains, and I used to ask people, how do you meditate? And the responses I got were so nebulous that it was a problem for me. I wanted something tangible to grab onto, how to actually go forward with this idea of spiritual life, spiritual practice. So it was a problem for me. Nowadays, we find perhaps just the opposite, that there, if someone asks, how do you meditate, or how do you practice spiritual life, he can be bombarded with so many ideas that it's bewildering. And many of them ask little and offer much. In my experience, close examination reveals there are very few paths out there that really even talk about an ideal, a goal, that is transcendent. And amongst those, this is certainly one, and is very easy in comparison to practice. So don't be put off by the idea that you have to avoid the ten offenses, you have to chant a certain number of rounds daily, observe a particular hygienic regime and standards of diet and so forth. These things are very, very minimal. And some of them involve like the dietary regime and uh, hygiene and so forth, just common sense that will bring um, practical results in your immediate bodily and mental life. So what are those offenses, first of all? Ten offenses for chanting the holy name that should be avoided. The first offense is to vilify those saints, sadhus, who distribute the holy name. So what kind of sadhus are those? This means vashnavas. We shouldn't be critical of anyone unnecessarily, but there may be place for constructive criticism of other paths for the sake of understanding better our own or explaining it to others. But with regard to Vaishnavas themselves who are distributing the holy name, then we should be very careful not to criticize them. It is said that you shouldn't bite the hand that feeds you. So we get this shraddha, this faith, which is our eligibility for receiving initiation in Krishna Nam from the Vaishnavas. They awaken that in our heart by their preaching, by their example. And so if we offend them, those who awaken this Shraddha, then it's possible that that Shraddha can go away. You see, Bhakti Devi, as Lord Krishna, is independent. He can do whatever he wants, not bound by anything. He can make the rules, he can change the rules as he likes. So Bhakti Devi, which is Swarup Shakti, also is independent. She places herself in the heart and hands of a Madhumadikari devotee, means a devotee proper. And through that devotee, 
the preaching devotee, I mean, in the sense of Madhyamam, she gives herself to others. She can go anywhere. She cannot become contaminated, Bhakti Devi. She can enter the heart of the most vile person and purify that person. But what she does is puts herself in the hands of her devotee, and that devotee then discriminates who to give her to and who not to. The preacher devotee avoids people who are envious. Those who are innocent, he shows kindness to them by encouraging them in Vaishnavism, extending initiation and so forth. Those who are similar to himself, who are practicing, makes friends with, and the Lord he worships. So this is how bhakti operates, how she chooses to distribute herself. So if after having gotten the shraddha from a Vaishnav that causes bhakti to come into our heart, we offend the Vaishnav, bhakti being independent can leave. Although it is said in Gita, One engaged in this path, is there's never any loss. Just like in material life, when we make a gain, then when we leave the world, we cannot take it with us, as it is said in common English parlance. Well, in relation to spiritual life, whatever we gain, just the opposite is said, we take it with us. It's a permanent part of ourself. But it can be removed. Bhakti is independent. She doesn't have to stay there. She can remove herself. And what circumstances might cause her to do so, if any? Vaishnavaparad. There are different kinds of Vaishnavaparad. Offending Vaishnavas. We can offend with our mind. We can offend with our words. We can offend with our body, physically. We can offend someone who is a Vaishnav, but less advanced than ourselves. One who's of equal standing. One who's higher. So we should be careful in all respects. If we offend in our mind, then we should rectify it in our mind. If we offend with words, with words we should rectify. If we offend physically, then we should rectify that by rendering practical service to that Vaishnava. Any kind of offense like this to Vaishnava causes Harinam Prabhu to back off. So we should avoid this. Mahaprabhu himself has described this offense like a mad elephant in relation to his metaphor of the bhakti lotta, the creeper, the vine of bhakti. It's a tender vine that has to latch on to something stronger to go up. And if the garden of such vines, if one lets loose a mad elephant, the contrast is great. A tender vine requires support for it to go up in the first place, and you bring a mad elephant into the garden. The other day, Dharmji, our little bull, got loose in the garden. That was enough, but I can't imagine a wild elephant. <laughs> So this example has been given to help us to be conscientious and avoid, like the plague, this first offense to Harinam Prabhu. The second offense is to consider the names of the demigods to be equal to the name of the Lord. There are just think that we can get the same effect by chanting Devi, Kali, Durga, Shiva, as we can get from chanting the holy name of Krishna. Of course, it is possible to chant these names and think of them as names of the Lord. Because actually, if we look carefully at the names of the demigods and goddesses, they are all names of Radha and Krishna, whatever qualities they have and more Radha and Krishna possess. But in a general sense, there are people who chant the various names of the demigods, thinking of them as demigods, (laughs) or as more than that, they make them out to be more than that, and that the chanting of the name of Krishna is the same, you're going to get the same result. This is not a fact, and Harinam Prabhu will also be put off by this if we maintain this kind of thinking. And the third offense is to offend the guru, and sometimes this is also described, guru abhagya, as thinking of the guru as an ordinary person. Certainly there is a scope for that because we find, what to speak of the guru, even the deity appears to us like a statue. Sometimes we may find that it's coming in our mind or oh, made it of brass, or stone, statue, or we may treat him like that. So there are certain manifestations of divinity within the world that serve to be like a bridge between time and the eternity, between finite and infinite, the deity, the scripture, and the guru may be one as well. There are certain human characteristics, qualities, and so forth, in the spiritual master, and we should not let them obscure that which he is teaching us, and 
we shouldn't let that obscure what we see in him, the kind of abiding and deep faith in Harinam that he's sharing with us at the time of initiation. This is faith, means what is his standing in relation to Krishna Nam and its efficacy and experience. He shares that with us at the time of initiation. So this should be concentrated on. Rupa Goswami has given an example of the Ganges. The Ganges is said to be pure, but many things are floating in that. We should not avoid taking baths in the Ganges because something impure has entered it. It is said in Padma Prana, just as one should not think of the deity as just a stone, so one should not think of the Guru as an ordinary person. In fact, our relationship with our Guru should be one of affection. And in affection, then what do we find? That what others might see as shortcomings or faults, we find them to be ornaments. I know in my own experience, we found everything about Prabhupada to be wonderful. Every gesture, every move. One of my godbrothers once told me that he had reasoned. When we asked Prabhupada a question, if the answer was affirmative, he would move his head back and forth. Yes. And in the Western culture, if you move your head back and forth like this, it means no. So he thought the spiritual way to, by gesture, indicate affirmative is to move your head that way. And the material way would be to move it up and down, nodding up and down. Yes. Because mm-hmm. Prabhupada did that. Of course, then he said, I went to India and I saw everybody was doing that. <laughs> that is there. <laughs> so, just to give this as an example, how if with a heart and eyes of affection we are connected with our Gurudev, then we'll be able to harmonize everything. Love has that power. And Rupa Goswami has recommended Guru Seva Vishrambrina. We should serve the Guru affectionately. Like Arjuna and Krishna. Arjuna was friend and servant. So servant friend. Not entirely equals, like Vrindavan friends. Arjuna is perfect example of disciple and Krishna perfect example of Guru. So affectionately we should serve our Gurudev with affectionate serving disposition. And then we will be able to avoid this offense. And fourth offense is to vilify the Vedic scriptures. So there are portions of the scriptures that don't deal directly with bhakti. Sections about karma, sections about jnana. So sometimes we may critique them for the sake of placing emphasis on bhakti. But we should be careful in doing so because these paths are also given by the Lord. They're in the scripture and they have their place. And those who aren't eligible for bhakti, they should be involved in one or the other of these. These two Karma and Gan, they're like uh, streams in the Himalayas that if they connect with the mainstream like the Ganges, then they can make it to the ocean means and they have meaning and value. But if they're disconnected, then they just dry up and don't take us anywhere. So we should see these paths, Karma and Gan, how to connect them to Bhakti and appreciate the entirety of the revealed scripture. When Vyas was feeling despondent after compiling all the Vedic literature, then Nard came and said, what's the problem? He said, I'm feeling kind of depressed. I did all this work and I'm feeling unfulfilled. He said, you should feel unfulfilled. You've wasted your time and cheated people. You've written all this, but you haven't given sufficient emphasis on bhakti. So you're Vyas. You're the author of all these, the compiler. If you don't give sufficient direct emphasis on bhakti, then in the future, who will be able to appreciate its importance if even you did not? said, practically speaking, without doing that, everything else you've done is a disservice to humanity. So he encouraged him in this way to write Srimad Bhagavatam with the full emphasis on the bhakti. So this is our main focus. But the entirety of the revealed scripture, when bhakti is in place as the central hub around which everything orbits, then those other things, other elements, other paths that have value. So we should be careful and appreciate. The Lord has given all the Vedas, all the scriptural injunctions. They're either directly or indirectly speaking about bhakti. So we shouldn't vilify the Vedic scriptures. The Shabda Praman is our most comprehensive means of knowing. We have to come to this kind of conclusion to be successful on the path of bhakti, that we are equipped with instruments that are defective in terms of arriving at comprehensive knowing, whether it be our power of perception through the senses or extension through the power of reasoning. Both 
of these means are imperfect for arriving at conclusive truth. So we can settle there and say there is no conclusive truth, or we can say the conclusive truth is whatever we can reason about and perceive. We don't have to add on a soul. We don't see one, like the Buddhists might say. We don't have to add a god into the picture. We don't see a god. So what there is is what there is. I just accept it and understand it. And consciousness comes, consciousness goes. Matter is in transformation. We are part of that transformation. This is how they think. And there may be many other thinkings that derive from sense perception and reasoning. But we say that actually these instruments are defective for coming to conclusive knowing. And the sutra, Tarko Pratishtan, is very nice in this regard. It says this exactly, that logic is inconclusive. So even if we were to say that when I say that is inconclusive, then you've simply underscored our point. For any kind of logic, there's another kind of logic. So where do we, what do we conclude then that if there is comprehensive knowing to be had, it has to come from another means than these defective means. We say that truth has an agenda, and if it chooses to reveal itself to us, then we can know. So revelation, this is scripture. So this scripture we should try to appreciate. We should have abiding faith in scripture. Shraddha, the adhikar, the eligibility for treading the path of bhakti, is also sometimes explained in this way, faith in scripture. Through the scripture we find the guru, through the guru we get a proper understanding of the scripture, like father and mother of the spiritual child, and they are in agreement. There is no divorce between Guru and Vedamata. So then fifth offense is to give some interpretation to the holy name. For example, based on grammar, one Balaba Charja, it's recorded in Chaitanya Charitamrita, wanted to give his commentary on Krishnanam to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Mahaprabhu refused to hear it. He said, all I know about Krishnanam is that he is Jasodanandan and Shamsundar. Krishnanam and Krishna are non-different. That Krishnanam is that person who is sucking the breasts of Mother Jasoda and whose complexion is sham, the color of love, the color of the cloud and threefold bending form. He refused to hear his commentary. Balaba was very intent on giving his fancy explanation. At one point he said to Mahaprabhu, Your followers, because Mahaprabhu was not entertaining his discussion, none of Mahaprabhu's associates would give him the time of day. So this made him more irritated. And at one point he approached Mahaprabhu and he said, all of your followers, they're chanting the name of Krishna. And many of them consider themselves to be like feminine in relation to the Lord. They're Shakti and he's Shaktiman. But everyone knows that the wife should never say the name of the husband. So in the Vedic culture, the wife had a reverential relationship with the husband. She would call him Prabhu, husband, never by his first name. So he said, what is this? All of your people, they're singing his name. Mahaprabhu said, it may be that that's the standard, but this husband, Krishna, asked them to chant his name. <laughs> so they're doing that. So the business is to follow the husband. And the husband, he says, chant my name. So anyway, he wanted to give some commentary, interpretation of the Holy Name. Mahaprabhu did not entertain that. We should accept this. The name of Krishna is none different from Krishna. Otherwise, we can enter into the grammar and say, the name Krishna means black, and this means that Krishna is really the black hole that the scientists have talked about, and if you enter there, you enter infinity, or come up with some interpretation like this. We should avoid that. And sixth offense is similar but different. It is to consider that, uh, well, it's quite different, the things that have been said about the holy name, its efficacy, the glory of the holy name, which are far-reaching, unbelievable in a sense that you could get the results such results simply from chanting Hare Krishna it may be not unbelievable to us but those who are a little more educated in scripture they might think in a general sense that oh how is it possible think that the jnanis and yogis are trying after liberation for many many births simply by chanting Hare Krishna in Namabhas you can get that result not even the pure name how is it possible but so Haridas Thakur was challenged in this way. In the learned assembly, Haridas was asked about the glory of the holy name. He said, well, I can tell you one thing. Just by Nama Bas, the intermediate stage of chanting, one can get liberation. One Brahmin said, what is this? 
just by chanting Nama Bas, shadow of the name, you can get liberation. I cannot tolerate this. And I'm in a learned circle of people and I have to hear this person speak. And he cursed him. If you keep up with this, then I curse you. Your nose will fall off. <laughs> and everyone was shocked at his response and so forth. And then within a few days, he got white leprosy and his nose fell off. His own nose. His own nose, yeah. yeah. For offending Haridas Thakur. Haridas Thakur said humbly, it's not my opinion. I think you're a learned Brahmin, but study the scripture. That's what it says. There are exaggerations in the scripture. The scripture takes a license to exaggerate. We should be aware of this. And that is the generous outreach of the Lord through revealed scripture to get people involved. Vaishnavanamita Shambhu. It is said in Bhagavatam, Shiva is the greatest Vaishnav. Shiramar told it's a kind of propaganda to get Shaivites involved. <laughs> hmm? Careful study of Srimad Bhagavatam is done by the Goswamis. For example, the book Brihat Bhagavatamrit of Sanatana Goswami is an explanation of the significance of Srimad Bhagavatam reveals, oh, Gopi's position is much higher than that of Shiva. Shiva wanted to become as a Gopi, and he couldn't enter the Rasalila. He was posted, he got as far as the gate, Gopishwar, he got posted at the gate. So this is the highest reach of Shiva. Otherwise, in general, in Bhagavatam, we find the position of Shiva to be representative of Gyan Mishra Bhakti, Bhakti mixed with Gyan, not even Shuddha Bhakti, pure Bhakti. So scripture takes a license, especially in the Karmakanda section, to exaggerate. Do this and you'll get this result. And this way it tries to get people involved, just like a mother may say to a child, close your eyes, I'll give you some candy. Close your eyes and she gives medicine, because the child wouldn't take the medicine otherwise. So scripture, uh, even Bhagavatam, there's a verse in 11th Canada to this effect that speaks in this way. But... In relation to Krishna Nam, and that means in relation to Krishna Lila also, because Lila is inside Nam. The pastimes of Krishna, the qualities of Krishna, the form of Krishna are all inside the name of Krishna. By chanting, they all come out. We see the form of Krishna with our eyes. Our minds will be permeated by the qualities of Krishna. Our heart will awaken to the Lilas of Krishna, all by chanting Krishna Nam. So Krishna Nam, I mean Krishna Lila also, there's no exaggeration in regard to this. Bhagavatam takes a poetic license to speak about people with hundred heads and arms and these kind of things. Maybe some places a way of saying a great person, a powerful person, and so forth. But we should not take this poetic license and extend it to Krishna Lila because when we speak about Krishna, we're speaking about that person who can do anything, who has a chintishakti, inconceivable power. When one fellow read Krishna book many years ago and told Prabhupada, I've read your Krishna book, and Prabhupada said, well, what did you think? He said, I thought it was a bit fantastic. And Prabhupada said, I think that you are a bit fantastic. The implication being to think that God could not be doing the kind of things that are mentioned in Srimad Bhagavatam and Tenth Canto, which Krishna book is a summary study of, that he would be limited to your range of experience and possibilities. This is a bit of a fantasy to live in that kind of thinking. Who are we talking about here? So that same person we're talking about, that is Krishnanam. So don't think that what has been said about the glory of Harinam, like one's chanting purely, one can counteract more sins than one could commit, for example. These kind of statements. Don't think that these are not true. They're true. And seventh offense, then, is to consider the chanting of the holy name of Krishna to be a kind of activity that's similar or equal to other types of sacrifices. Chanting and kirtan is called sankirtan. It's a kind of sacrifice. Sacrifice recommended for Kali Yuga. But there are other sacrifices mentioned in the scripture also. Like horse sacrifice, cow sacrifice, this sacrifice, that sacrifice. But they are not the same. The chanting of Hare Krishna will bring about a fully transcendental result. And in the sacrifice of chanting the holy name, then we are to place not material assets on the altar of sacrifice but ourselves into the fire of sacrifice sometimes during initiation there is a fire ceremony we're not having one today but it's symbolic of not just throwing things into the fire but putting ourselves in the fire in the fire means under the jurisdiction of an advanced vaishnav guru whose company is like fire that will gradually cook us and make us offerable to krishna we have to stay close to the fire. Close, but not too close. 
If you get too close, you can get burned, but if you get too far, then you don't get any heat. So you have to find a balance. Too close, then we means we may misunderstand and make offense. And but too far, then we not take advantage and hear good advice, instruction, and see good example, and so forth. Eighth offense means that we should not think that we can commit all types of sinful activities, and we can chant the name of Krishna and counteract those sins and commit more sin. This way we can live the best of both worlds. We can sin all we want, and we can chant, and then we're covered, and then we can go back and do those things again, and we should not get caught in that. A ninth offense, then, is to give the holy name to those who don't have faith, shraddha. So it's something like in Bible said, don't throw pearls before the swine. This is a simple thing Nityananda Prabhu is said to be asking. A little faith, then I will give you such a valuable thing as Krishna Nam. If you have faith in that and its efficacy, take it. That's not much to ask. But if the guru, for example, makes a trade out of discipleship for maintaining himself, and without awakening faith in persons, without testing and seeing if they have abiding faith in the name, he gives initiations because they'll support him, give donation and so forth, and this is considered to be offense to the holy name. So sometimes this offense is discussed in this light that for the giver of the name should be careful to avoid. And that is ninth and then a tenth offense is that to keep the anchor down while trying to row the boat. That means that when we chant Hare Krishna sincerely, then we feel it is taking us in a particular direction to a new life and to not be open to go there, to hold back and maintain material conceptions, not let go of them. If we chant, then the name will reveal, now it is time to move on. So we should do that. There should be some openness to us, where Krishna Nam will take us. We have some theoretical idea, but the basic spirit of it is to the best of possibilities. So let me go. It may oftentimes look like it's not taking us in a very favorable direction, a painful direction. Oh, uh, this will be difficult for me. Krishnanam seems to be saying, you should go like this, do like that, but what problems that will cause for me? It may look just the opposite. We should have abiding faith. No, that's not the case. It may look like one thing, but the fact of the matter is that Harinam Prabhu has nothing but our interest in mind. So in this way, we should avoid the ten offenses. If we don't avoid the ten offenses and we remain only chanting on the platform of Namaparad, still we can get some benefit. We can get material benefit. Namaparad is in relation to one aspect of material life, one track on which material life runs. That is the main track, exploitation, karma. Involvement in karma means a life of exploitation. It means that we are incurring a debt with our every movement, like borrowing money from the bank, you go further into debt. We're on the take, so hunter and hunted. This is the plane of exploitation. We have a sense that we need because we're identified with the body, which has needs. It won't endure, so we have a sense that this is what I am, false sense, and based on that, then we have to get, we have to acquire, we have to take, we have to exploit, and the net result is that we will be exploited, so this is one track. And along that track, if we chant Hare Krishna, we only chant Nama Parad, we don't overcome that, then we can gain that realm, as much as there is gain in that realm. That means to say we could get money. I know I don't have a problem with that, personally, but um, it was a joke. <laughs> Sometimes we see that people chant and they get a lot of money and uh, and might even be big following big temples and properties and so forth. So it's deceiving. This could be only a result of Nama Parad. And those things could get in the way even of our understanding, the real fruits of the holy name of Krishna. A fellow came to me in Vrindavan and he had a big plan he wanted to be involved in. And he asked what I think about that. I had to say to him, that's a big plan. I said, try to think on a little smaller level. I said, try to purify your own heart. And he was thinking of this big plan of purifying the whole of Europe. And he appreciated it, but then he said to me, well, that's an even bigger plan, Maharaj. <laughs> I had to agree. That is the big plan. Right. 
to make a temple in your heart that the Lord will reside there happily. So this won't happen with Namaparad. We may get so many things, and people may think we are a great Vaishnav, but people are easy to deceive also. And the second stage of chanting, then Namabas, corresponds with the other track, so to speak, that material life runs on. One is exploitation, and the other, in the language of Siddhartha, is renunciation. We either want to exploit the world and take from it, or we want to get away from it. So through Namabas, we can get this kind of effect. It's possible. You can get liberated from the world. There are four kinds of Namabas mentioned in the Srimad Bhagavatam. Sankityam parihasyam va stobahelanam evava vaikunta namagrahanam asheshagga. It is said in relation to Adjamil, this Leela, that Sankityam parihasyam stobahelanam. Sankityam means like musical, helanam means neglectful, stobo means like interpretation, to use it for some other purpose, like make up a code. When I say Krishna, it means this. When I say Ram, it means that. And, and Parihasa means joking. Like people say, oh, there's the Hari Krishnas. Hi, Hari. Is that Krishna? They say like this, making some joke. So, it means, without understanding, Ajamil chanted the name Narayan, but he was not thinking of the significance of that. Actually, he was thinking of his son. But still, some effect can come, wonderful effect. In the context of chanting conscientiously, if we move from Namaparad to Namabas, conscientiously chanting, that will be good for us. That means we'll get some experience from Namabas. It will be actually encouraging. But we should have as our ideal Shudhanam, the pure name of Krishna, Vaikuntanam. So, this way, there are ten offenses we should avoid. There are different stages of offensive chanting and then the shadow of the name. Sometimes we call it clearing stage and then Shudhanam, pure name. And then we have also been advised, and I extend that advice to you as well, that you should chant 16 rounds, and you've been doing that for quite some time, as I understand. So you should chant 16 rounds every day on the beads, 108 beads, and the chanting should begin from the large to the small is one, and then from the small back to the large one is two rounds in this way, 16 rounds. Like if you're at the bottom of a big redwood, and then it's fatter at that end, and then you go to the top, pick a fruit, and come back down. And the central bead, Krishna bead, you don't cross over that. So you must know that, because someone already showed you that uh, technique, and we chant with the middle finger and the thumb, keeping the index finger out. And that's, by the way, that index finger is used for so many things, and it's like that, so it's not to be kept in the bag. It doesn't mean that you keep it out so that you can be doing other things while chanting pointing to him and directing over there, <laughs> and so forth. We should take some time. We have nothing else to do. Sit and chant Hare Krishna. Try to chant, try to hear, and do it like this. That it's been said, I have heard it, and I sense it, that simply by hearing this name, without any other thought, the most wonderful thing can happen. Just have that kind of simple faith and do it like that. And you'll get effect, without a doubt. And then my Guru Maharaj always reminded us that in Kali Yuga there are things that are not advisable in relation to the Leela of Parikshit Maharaj and Simad Bhagavatam. When Kali Yuga showed himself, then Parikshit Maharaj chastised him, but he surrendered to Parikshit Maharaj. So as a Saranagata, surrendered soul, Parikshit Maharaj had to give him some place. So Parikshit Maharaj said, if you want a place, then wherever there is illicit sex, gambling, meat-eating, and intoxication, you can stay there. And he responded, well, there is no place like this in your kingdom, so you have to extend that. So what did he say? He said, well, wherever there is the hoarding of gold, money, you can stay there because the implication is these things will also come. So we should avoid these five things. Keep what you need to maintain yourself. Live simply and chant Hare Krishna. So, are there any questions? Shraddha means who takes the name, who got Shraddha, and then on the basis of that Shraddha, he's taking the holy name. Can be, yeah. Can be Nama Paratu. <laughs> he has faith. He's still not avoiding the offenses, but he has faith in Shudhanam and the mm-hmm. pure name, and he's under good guidance chanting. So, if you want to come forward, then can you put these first? Put these beads on. These are the neck beads of Tulsi. You should always keep them on. 
one of the identifying marks of a Vaishnav, to be ornamented by Tulsi Devi around one's neck. Prabhupada used to call it like a collar, like a dog's collar, so that you don't get too far. So come forward now, and I'll give you these beads. Like I mentioned, you should chant on them 16 rounds a day. As I mentioned, you start here and go around and come back. Okay. And at the time of initiation, then we give a name, so your name will be Shraddha Devi. Shraddha Devi. As I mentioned in the talk, Shraddha means faith, so have faith. <laughs> Hare Krishna. Does anyone else have any question? Yes. Well, I gave an example in Gorlila, Advaita initiating Sachimata in Hare Krishna Mahamantra, without which Chaitanya Mahaprabhu refused to take her breast milk. That is in the literature of Advaita Bhamsa, maybe Advaita Prakash, you find that story. Otherwise, we know that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu chanted Hare Krishna on Japa beads. He received the Krishna Mantra, Gopal Mantra from his guru, but he apparently also received Hare Krishna mantra because he responded to his Gurudev that chanting this Hare Krishna, I've gone crazy. I wanted to get your evaluation. Am I doing this right? And of course, he was very pleased by that. Also, Rupa Goswami has mentioned on the way to Jagannath Puri in beautiful poetry, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu carrying a string with knots in it, counted while chanting loudly Hare Krishna. So... Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was chanting Hare Krishna Mahamantra in Japa, and we shall assume in Kirtan as well. Most everybody in the Gaudiya Sampradaya chants Hare Krishna in Kirtan. There is one group that doesn't, that refuses to chant in Kirtan, only in, while chanting Japa. Anything else? We'll stop there. Hariyam Prabhu Ki Jai. Lesi Bhakti Vedanta Swami Prabhupada Ki Jai. Bhakti Raksa Sri Swami Maharaj Ki Jai. Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasrita Group Prabhupada Ki Jai Sri Guru Vaishnava Guru Parampara Ki Jai Gaur Nityananda Ki Jai Gaur Bhakta Vrinda Ki Jai Upremanam Ki Jai